Welcome to Cobra Kai Never Dies. Today we're talking about Season 3, Episode 4, The Right Path. Want to read that synopsis? Sure. Following an important meeting in Japan, Daniel revisits Mr. Miyagi's hometown in Okinawa. Johnny attempts to reconnect with Robbie. All right, Nina. I mean, here's the question for you. You want to start with what happens in Japan or what happens in America? <laughs> you know, let's start with Japan. Let's start with Japan. Okay. Um, so that, uh, that important business meeting we're talking about, is Daniel in front of the, uh, I guess, board? God, probably the board of Diona, that automobile distributor that, like, supplies American auto dealerships with Japanese cars. And Daniel, the owner of, like, I don't know, what, what do you think, two or three dealerships, has somehow secured a meeting with the board. Maybe they didn't even know he was coming. Maybe they like, didn't. Crazy renegade from Virginia like, County. And then they say this thing that, like, again, you you know, I feel like I talk about this way too much, but, like, it's ridiculous that, like, this, this multinational distributor would be talking to one small fry dealer, and it is ridiculous that, like, they said... They say, I mean, you know, Daniel's talking about how, like, LaRusso auto dealers sells lots of cars, and they say, that's great, but we're trying to avoid negative PR, as if this Japanese auto distributor would get wrapped up in this high school brawl that was, like, on the local news in Los Angeles. Just, I wish that it had been like, actually, we've never heard of your dealership. Thank you. That I would have loved that. <laughs> I would have loved if they're just like, who are you and what why did you was, get a meeting here? I know. What if it was just one of Tom Cole's machinations? <laughs> <laughs> I would have loved it if it was an elaborate Tom Cole lie. I was yeah. like, ha, I got you out of town and to make you a fool in front of random dealership Right. Guys. And I'd love it if they're like, well, we weren't, we had no idea about this, but now we want to cancel your contract because you seem like a wacko, dude. Um, you does seem like a wacko. Right. Because actually the scene opens with him kind of reliving this failed presentation at the bar. He's drinking whiskey. and Japanese whiskey, so great. Um, and, and he's <laughs> scrolling through the photos on his phone of, I mean, his classic Miyagi memories, right? I mean, I gotta think right now it's it's like nine photo albums stored in his iCloud or whatever. <laughs> and this specific one is <laughs> it's hilarious because the bartender um, just intervenes and he's like, you thinking about happier times? Yeah. <laughs> it's such a weird thing for a bartender. It's to such say. a bartender trope that they really get involved in people like looking at photos alone and sadly on their phones. Of random Asian people. Being Daniel's sounding board. I'm right. really tired of it. And he also, uh, this, this, I like this bartender, but I, I rolled my eyes so hard when, you know, yeah, Daniel's talking about how his friend is dead. And, you know, he's like, you know, that's very Western because, you know, in Japan, we speak to the dead constantly or something like that where it's just like, dude, yeah. come on. He's like, he's an extension of the fisherman. Yeah, right? Two, it's like, buddy, you're a Tokyo bartender. You don't commune with the dead. And you stop. No, no. I refuse to believe this. I know. I mean, I like the scene that follows that, which is, well, first, let's talk about how Daniel is straight up lying to Amanda. He can't bring himself to tell her that the, the thing that he had instigated, basically what their entire business relies upon, which is like a successful meeting, has failed, and the last thing before he leaves the bar is he sees this, like, touristy ad about Okinawa, and of course, being Daniel, he's like, yeah, why not? I've already blown, like, $3,000 to get here. What's another 2K? Not That's just right, to be- go to Okinawa, but he's going with a destination in mind. And I want to say, isn't... Okay, tell me if I'm wrong. Okinawa's not near Japan, right? Like, no, it's... it's- pretty far so it's not just like a side trip to like i don't know like an, the outskirts of tokyo it's yeah wait. it's like it's like one of those things where when amanda is reviewing those credit card receipts she's like why the fuck did you take a sojourn to okinawa it's like not on the way to anywhere right Also, he's not he's going to tomi village which is the depopulated town from karate kid part two um okay wait <laughs> Lata is looking at I'm looking this up, Okinawa. you guys. All right, this isn't so bad. It is 971 miles away from Tokyo, but it's an average two and a half hour flight. So it's like, okay, fine. It's not as terrible as I thought it was, but it's still pretty bad for a detour. And I, I think Amanda Are will ask. Are you surprised at this detour no, at all? not at all. Like, not even a little bit. It would have oh, been weird if he didn't go. I mean, really all it takes is like one kind of failed... They were polite about it, but it's like, Daniel just can't cope with any kind of setbacks in a reasonable way. Like, 
He can't just have a drink and maybe try again tomorrow. No, he's got to go to Okinawa to find his soul. It's just um, insane. But he's um, Daniel, so he's Daniel. none of this is surprising. And, you know, I, uh, I think it's interesting that when he gets to Okinawa, and I like this part because it's like he goes to Tomi Village, which is the little village that in Karate Kid 2, like, uh, he goes to because Miyagi hails from it. And it was very, back then, like, kind of sparsely populated, very traditional, old way of life. Of course, now Tomi Village is like called like Tomi Village Shopping Plaza and has a gap and also a red lobster. And like what he's, do you he's looking shell shocked that like there's a KFC and a Baskin Robbins and it's it's almost like someone is violating his memory. How did how did you feel about this Tomi Village loved, upgrade? I loved it. I loved it. I I thought it was like of course the place has changed in thirty years and like like this like sparsely populated village with a failing grocery store that we we fail to understand the mechanics yeah. of this grocery and store but there's... it was like perfect because you know Daniel is clearly like annoyed yeah annoyed at any signs of like he's annoyed at gentrification <laughs> of a village that he briefly visited right years ago and it's like very I thought this was very realistic and like there's this nice thing where he talks to like I was kind of hoping she was a former villager, but I, I, I wasn't sure. She just looked like she was at the information kiosk at, at Tomi Village. And she's talking about how Mr. Sato, uh, like, you know, was a big man on, in the village. Like, basically, it was it was failing in every way. And he sort of saved it by bringing in commerce and, like, bringing in this retail and everything. And, like, you know, and, like, Daniel asks, like, are the villagers, are they upset? And she says, no, they, they have jobs that save the village. And... They don't really go into this more. Maybe they don't need to. But, like, I always, like, got irritated by the idea of, like, yeah, people who are tourists and visitors are like, what? But you didn't preserve the integrity of this place. And it's like, but you don't live here. You don't have to live with the lack of jobs yeah, or like the lack some, of plumbing or like something. Some moony expat, like, revisiting the town that he visited in his study abroad tour. And he's like, wow, there's so many changes, man. It was so picturesque back in the day. And it's like, it's only picturesque when you don't live there. And you're not the one who, like, has to be like, shit, we yeah, don't have up, money or food. I mean, you're not the one keeping that failing onion store alive. Right, that failing onion store, which is now a Jersey Mike's. And, like, I get, yeah, it's it's funny. It's like... I like that. That's the kind of moment that I always thought the this, this show was pretty smart about. Like, you know, that, like, Daniel will, like, look at something and be like, oh, but it's not, like, my perfect oriental village. And the show will be like, eh, fuck you anyways. It's yeah, I mean, it, it made up for the earlier scene with the bartender dispensing little... Asian wisdom. Asian wisdom, yeah. yeah. So, um, let's talk about Kuko's oh. grand re-entrance. Well... You know, Tomi Village isn't the cultural wasteland Daniel thinks it is, for there is a traditional dance performance going on, led by no other than Kumiko, who, can I say, looks great. She looks fantastic. Looks amazing. Um, Better than she did as a youth, I'd say. Just really good. Yeah, she she's beautiful. She turns around, she locks eyes with Daniel, and initially she looks shell-shocked, mm-hmm. because, I mean, yeah, I guess she could recognize Daniel's son. Daniel has this look of, like... Thirst. Not just thirst, but, like, even on the cab ride to Tomi Village, you know, he's thinking back to... He's flashbacking. He's not just flashbacking to his, like, summer with Miyagi, which was very special to him. He's definitely, like, reimagining all of his scenes with his ex. Yeah. Like, making out with her, the tea ceremony, and, like, it's like, oh, God. It's... You want to strangle Dream Daniel, like... (laughs) Right. And it's a little, like... The way that he looks at her is, you're like, I feel uncomfortable. My I know. Gosh. It's just like, we both were like shifting in our seats. And it's funny because, you know, I realize we rag on Daniel all the time for everything. But like, let's be honest, guys. Like, obviously Daniel's like, he can be a little hypocritical and up his own ass. But like, he's like a morally good dude. And you like really, just the idea of him like cheating on his wife is actually distressing. Like, I don't know. You're I like, no. about how a lot of people... Um, cheat even if they're happy in their marriages. So is that right? Yeah, oh. like it's not like automatically like, infidelity is some. It's it's complicated. There's like is that woman Esther Perel. She does all this like she's a psychotherapist or marriage counselor, but she does her specialty is infidelity, and she talks about like uh, a lot of infidelity is like a way to live out another self. Mm. So Daniel, I feel like I don't know what the show is trying to do because I think. I'm very black and white about this, but I mean, also it's the trope that, you know, you you don't really normally would have your protagonist cheat 
I mean, to be fair, he's he not... He gets real fucking close he's in not, this episode. It's more like... Yeah, it's not like that they do anything. Like, at the end of the episode, they're they're having a drink and their, their hands touch. But it's just well, like... Wait, let's, let's talk about the lead up to that. So it's like, Daniel Nokanawa, so he's... Like, the next scene is him having just like a... Just catching up with the axe mm-hmm. tea thing. And, and by the way, Kumiko is, is like... Charming as hell. Like, she's talking about how she traveled the world after, like, she's the Dance Academy. I, I don't know. You said she was flirting because she no, makes she, it clear that she's single. She's like, she just, like, seems like a, she's a cool lady, you know? Like, her favorite place was London because she got to see the Cranberries open for Radiohead. She's cooler than Daniel. She's so cool. And she's like, oh, yeah, my aunt always wanted me to, to get married. And, you know, Daniel's like, what? Nobody ever put a ring on this finger? And I love it. She's like, many tried, but I prefer to remain a free agent. She also said, none of them fought to the death for me. Yeah, that's flirty. she would have, what, married Daniel? I think she's just being, like, you know, yeah, I think just having like, a little fun, Kuliko's you know? Kuliko's soul would have died if she had, like, lived out her suburban existence. What, like, in, like, an L.A. Call- yeah. car dealership? She, no. She went to dance school. She pursued her dreams. She listens to Radiohead. She's yeah. She's a cool chick. She's a cool chick. And, like, Daniel seems quite wowed by her. And there's a, you know, he, of course, because he's having a conversation with a person, has to mention Miyagi and yeah, how, it's- you know... We really should do a countdown, like maybe 20 seconds elapsed where, you know, you haven't seen someone in 30 years, you'd ask a little bit more about their life. We don't know how long they had lunch, but he is just going, just hitting the gas on the Miyagi memories. He learns that Yuki has passed away. And, I mean, Kumiko, to her credit, it's like, it's almost like she wasn't even surprised. She's like, oh yeah, that is probably her enduring memory of Daniel. It's like, oh, yeah. I mean, she really wanted to get into his pants. She would just start hitting those Miyagi memories. And actually, she... she <laughs> the next scene, when they're in this dimly lit Zen garden... Uh, Yuki's old house, which is, is very romantic I looking. know, I'm telling you. Because, you know, Daniel's been talking about the how he misses Miyagi. And, like, Kumiko says the magic words, which are, I think I can help you with that. See, Yuki, she's who is... Yeah, she's, she's got game. Well, I mean, I think she's just having a little fun. But, like, yeah, like, she's got she's got charm, and she's got the smart... She knows the way to Daniel's heart. Not that she's necessarily trying to get there, but she understands the way is through Miyagi letters. Um, which, Miyagi apparently wrote lots of love letters to Yuki. Um, okay, my theory was that Kumiko goes through all of those letters and used it to lure Daniel. You don't think they're real? You think okay, it's just so, Kumiko I mean, pretending that, like, they're Miyagi letters? a little Could bit be. about how, maybe a lot about how Karate Kid 2 ended, where Miyagi just kind of books it and gets out of Dodge, and he's not, he, there was really nothing separating him from, from the lo- supposed love of his life, yeah. Yeah, exactly. There's no reason to write letters from your quote-unquote deathbed when you had like 20 30 healthy years it's true it's like he stayed away from okinawa in the first place because he thought kumiko was like married to someone else etc but it's like she's not you know she's not and you're both single and you could have brought her to la you could have stayed in okinawa i think this is a bit of retcon because they it would have been a dick move i mean you could either just be like look this was a girlfriend and i don't really keep in touch with her anymore it's fine but they had to make like Yuki, his great love, which makes no sense. Yeah. It's like a box of, like, 30 letters. And isn't it just kind of like, can't this man have just one private I was going to say. Life without Daniel just, like, like. Or to be honest, like, Kumiko being like, like, let's read these love letters to feel closer to him. And I'm like, dude, when I die, I don't want people, like, reading my emails to feel closer to me. Yeah. I like, would be no. Pissed. Please don't. Like, just, just leave me be. Um, but it's, it's, we. As I said, it's it's foreplay. It's Miyagi foreplay. I mean, oh my god. There's how you get to Daniel. This is how you get in Daniel's pants. Ugh. You start reading some love letters from Miyagi aloud. I mean... You saw the look in his eyes. Like It's like he came alive. There's this... The letter that uh, that oh, she reads the entirety the of... What, what? I have the letter. Oh, you do? Yeah. Do you want to do a live reading? Okay, let's do it. Me? All right. My sweetheart Yuki... I am sorry it has been a long time since my last letter. I am so happy to hear that Kanzakura, Okinawan Cherry Blossoms, is in good health. I am sorry to tell you that I am back in the hospital. Please, do not worry. There's nothing to do except watch TV and think. Think about family. Think about us. Think about where I have been. Think about where I am going. In life, I have always looked for signs to show me the right way. But I got lost until I met Daniel's son. His kind heart... Strong chi and loyalty and love for those around him is a guiding light to me. I'm very proud for the man he has become. 
even though he still has a hard head. I never thought I would have a family again. Daniel-san has welcomed me into his family, and he has passed on what I teach him in Miyagi-Do to his daughter, Samantha. Samantha makes me feel like I am her Tanmi, grandfather. In life, we'll always lose our way, but it is people, not signs, that guide us back to the right path. Do you like that, Yuki? I heard that in a car commercial. Love, Miyagi. Sorry to make you read that whole thing. I mean, but you know what, guys? Does it sound like Miyagi to you? Yes, it does, because that last line, I heard that in a car commercial, is such a Miyagi thing to say. Um, uh, And you know what? I'm going to say it. I approach this this whole exercise with deep skepticism, but I've always liked, you know, despite Daniel, like, talking about Miyagi every 20 seconds being kind of annoying, I always liked their relationship, you know, back when Miyagi was actually alive and they had one. Sorry. Um, So, I, and I honestly think that, I genuinely think that, uh, like, an old man like Miyagi with no family would be very touched that, like, this kid, like, that he met, like, you know, and, and tutored would, like, continue to think of him as real family, and in fact, like, you know, that, like, his daughter would think of Miyagi as, as her grandfather. Like, I, I, if I were an old dude, and I'm not even an old dude, and I never will be, but I would be touched by that, you know? That's I'm nice. Sorry, would you say that Daniel is a guiding light for you? I mean, I wouldn't, but... <laughs> I just feel like this strains plausibility to me. Also, how, I mean, if I were Yuki, I'd come back like, I would haunt the shit out of Miyagi for this, because it's like if you're in a long-distance relationship, but you find out your long-distance boyfriend actually lives, like, two doors down and just can't be bothered to see you. I mean, this is essentially what Miyagi's doing. He's like, if only, if only there were planes or trains or automobiles, if only we weren't separated by... Literally nothing, Yuki. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's super weird that, like, they're retconning this as him being, like, totally in love with her, and somehow they're separated by nothing. And, obviously, both uh, Daniel and Kumiko are so lucky that this last letter is, like, mostly about Daniel and not, like, Yuki, what are you wearing or something, right? Like, oh, my God. That'd been weird. It's like a um, transcribed... Like, sexy. if it was, like, a sex letter or something. <laughs> they're lucky that it happens to be the perfect letter to read out loud to Daniel, but okay, whatever, you know? I, my cynical and hard heart was moved by this just because it's like, yeah, like, I, I mean, we forget it because we like, you know, because yeah, he's been dead for a long time and Daniel like nearly fetishizes his memory. But like, you forget that like, you know, they actually were close, you know, like they did have a good relationship. And like Miyagi also like, yeah, Miyagi didn't have a son or he lost his son. Yeah, and, that dream you know. died. My whole dream of uh, Miyagi's secret son doesn't look like it's going to happen. <sighs> At least the answer does not lie. You never book. give up hope, though, Nina. Well, um, again, all of those, those letters are in um, Japanese. Kumiko so, like, could be translating anything she wants. I know. I um, love the idea of Kumiko just kind of making this like, shit Like, whatever. Daniel seems like he needs to hear this. But... She's like, whatever. Uh, let's, <laughs> let's move ahead to... But wait, no. I, I mean... You're, so you were not even, like, a, the slightest bit like, aw, Miyagi. Like, aw, he thinks well of Daniel and vice versa and all that. I think Miyagi is the greatest player the world has ever known. Wow. I think he's up there in the, like, Hall of Fame with Ali and possibly Kumiko, who is, like, kind of, like, working. I mean, admit on the outside that it looks quite, kind of bad, but you're like, well... Daniel kind of talks about Miyagi to whoever he can. So even if it is in a moonlit Zen garden, maybe it doesn't mean anything. But I think it looks a little worse, the next scene. Um, Oh, Miyagi does? Well, Miyagi just looks like... He comes off as kind of like... I don't know. I just don't buy these love letters. I mean, we... I don't think that he's waxing, like, eloquent about what Daniel means to him. <laughs> I don't know. You're right. That That is a little bit, like... I don't know. I feel like a lot of the letter about, like, the guiding light and stuff, it's a little bit like, okay, buddy. But just the part about how he feels like he has a family again. Like, he's a lonely old man living in Southern California, away from everybody he knows when he meets Daniel. I get it. I get it. Yeah. You know. Like, his family's dead. It's not his fault that he was susceptible to Daniel's wiles, you know? It's okay. Um, Yeah, so I I did like that. And Ralph Macchio also, like, seems, like, genuinely, like, you know, like, he he seems so moved by this that I didn't have it in my cold heart to, like, you know, take that away from him. But the next scene with Daniel is a bit much. Yeah, so him and Kumiko are now at the drink stage of their little reunion. Um... Has he called home to Amanda? We don't know. Probably not. 
But, uh, you know, this is like, he's done all the things now. He's He's gotten his Miyagi closure. He's gotten his answer. God knows how this relates to his car dealership drama. <laughs> but yeah, him and, and, and Kumiko are at the bar and their hands sort of graze. And it was uncomfortable yeah. to watch. It's just like, there's something about the way that they're looking at each other. And I yeah. get it. They're both like attractive looking people. They're, but it's just like, because. He's I, on the cusp of cheating. Oh, Nina. Um, you don't I, think so? I don't think he's on the cusp of cheating because, as my, like I said, we were like dicks to Daniel all the time, but he's not really the type. He's the type to sort of like flirt with it, but not do it. Um, but yeah, their their hands do meet, and because like I'm like, oh god, Daniel's not the type. It made me uncomfortable. I'm like, don't even be wandering in this Zen garden, buddy. Like that's not good. But at that moment, just when you're concerned. Chosen steps in. It's a chosen zero hour cock block. Uh, and it's <sighs> the perfect. most welcomed cock block of all time. I know. So yeah. I mean, dun dun dun. Please don't ruin this for us listeners. I am curious how they're, how chosen is kept in touch with Kumiko. How do, I mean, how do you know that he has? Maybe he's just like, wait. Well, I don't know. remember the flashback right before when he sees chosen and chosen's like talking about honor and. Yeah, yeah, blah, he gets blah, all blah. his, he gets another, like, series of chosen flashbacks. I don't know that he's gonna be like, I called dibs on Kumiko 30 years ago. I think, like, I, don't think I he... wonder if Kumiko and Chosen have gotten together. Really? Because he actually wasn't uh, Daniel's romantic rival for Kumiko. He threatened to rape Kumiko once, um, so that was fun. He was just a general rival, and Kumiko was kind of in the mix. Yeah, so. yeah, like, he, like, he wasn't like, it wasn't like a Daniel and, and Johnny and Allie thing. It was more like... Yeah, like, he just wanted to defeat Daniel, and Kumiko, like, happened to be around, and he would threaten her sometimes, so, I mean, yeah, what woman really doesn't love that, right? <laughs> um, but, yeah, I, I have no idea how he fits into this. I am so disappointed that it doesn't seem like he is the head of Diona Industries, but... I know! Eh. Well, maybe, I mean, maybe he's, like, the, the money behind it. Like I God, the... I hope so, because otherwise, guys, the Diona thing doesn't make any sense. Like, what, why, what... Petty motivation do they have to cut Daniel off if Chosen isn't their leader? I but, mean, you know. I feel like the writers had to really be hard at work to like make this a car dealership scheme of some kind. We don't need it to be, but it seems like we need to keep Larusso Auto alive in our hearts and minds. And so, <laughs> and they need to get him in Japan. And like this is, but this is flimsy. But you know what? I'll take it all back if Chosen is pulling the strings. So yeah. you know what? I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say it just yet. But yeah, have we? Have thank we... God! <laughs> so it was such a welcome scene to have chosen break up this uncomfortable moment. Ziplining into I this scene that... the way he ziplined into exactly. our hearts. I hope that him and Kumiko never get any closer to doing whatever they were going to be doing. Yeah, I mean nobody wants to see that. She looks great, but like I don't want to see. I want to see her a free agent at Radiohead, living her life. Yeah, exactly. That's fine. That's or, good. Or. Head back to freaking Reseda and date Johnny. That would be fun too. So why not? Um, okay, so let's shall we go back to America. Back? Yeah, All right, stateside, stateside drama. Okay, um, crease. Yeah, crease lesson. Okay, so this is interesting. Um, crease starts with a lesson where he's got a bonsai perched atop a stick. Log? I don't know. A log. A log. Um, it's kind of high up, and he asks his students to uh, try to knock the bonsai down. And, like, first of all, a bunch of Cobra Kai's I have never seen in my entire life. There's not a single one we recognize. No. Yeah, it's like, I know he did some spring cleaning of, like, the ones who he thought were too soft, but I'm like, who are these people? I think they're drifters. I think, like, Kreese is just in his pickup, like, hitting those and just... <laughs> Collecting. Getting a bunch of wayward teams. Yeah, because I'm like, I don't know when... I mean, like, they're none of the ones we recognize, but, like, a few of them try to, like, do some fancy kicks to knock the bonsai off, but, like... You know, the bonsai's pretty high up. They all fail. And then Hawk's like, let me take a crack at it. I can do it. And he, like, kicks the log over and the bonsai falls. And am I am I a Cobra Kai at heart or something? To me, I'm like, well, yeah, obviously. That's what, I mean, that's, yeah, everybody should have been doing that. Why, why is that, that, like, crazy? That's... Are they trying to say that most people that are attracted to Cobra Kai are, like, meatheads that, like, can't think of... Anything. I mean, Hawk is just like slightly above average intelligence. I was honestly like a little bit like, yeah, duh. And then like some some kid is like, he cheated, and Crease is quite correctly like, no, he was the only one who did the thing that I asked him to do. And the lesson, of course, is like, you know, fight smart. And 
okay. Like, yeah, no, I, I didn't think that was that smart. But yeah, no, I'm not, I'm not like against that as a lesson. That seems like, yeah, sometimes you should just be like a little clever. Like, you don't have to always take things I mean, at literally. Least, at least Cobra Kai and Crease are coming up with actual lessons, which... Oh, we missed this in the last episode, but Sam resurrecting Miyagi-Do. Yeah, Sam has basically decided that she is going to... We'll talk more about Sam's Breaking Breaking Bad. Yeah, but, like, yeah, Sam's basically, like, taking over Miyagi-Do in her father's absence and keeping him well-trained or something. But, like, yeah, and we we see, like, we get the first Hawk plot that I have liked in a very long time. No, they're they're sort of teasing... I don't know, I like when they kind of focus a little bit on him and his relationship with Dimitri because Dimitri is newly popular and I just don't like him in this uh, in this episode and I don't I haven't liked him in the last few episodes. Yeah, he's a uh, popular Dimitri sucks. I mean, I, I like what he says though too. Uh, oh, blonde bully girl. I can't remember what her name is Wedgie anymore. Blonde. Wedgie blonde or he's like um, you know, when she's apparently he's been assigned to work with her and Moon on some science project and he brings something in and, you know, she's, like, being, like, a dick to him, and he says to her, my popularity is on the rise while yours is steadily declining, which is a great line, and I like that a lot, but then he goes on to say, like, maybe we can meet in the middle, like, a sexual Venn diagram, and I was just like, no, okay, no, that's gross. Yeah, I love how they're like, we're not gonna totally take away your incel past, it's still there. It's still it's there. It's still Dimitri. Um, so he and Hawk gets into it. Hawk is, like, I don't know. Hawk, like, well... Hawk doesn't like seeing Dimitri talking to hot girls in, like, a confident way, so he looks at the science project that Dimitri's holding, and he takes his soccer ball, and he kicks it right into it. And, you know, when Dimitri comes over to confront him, along with the rest of the Miyagi-Dos, then we finally see, like, a hawk that we haven't seen before. I've been so fucking tired of aggro hawk that finally, like, he's taken that fight-smart lesson, and he has decided that he is hawk thinking man's bully. Which, you know what? I'm here for it. He's like... He notices, like, uh, the anti-bullying monitor that, like, we met in, like, the first episode of the season is, like, in like in view. So he says something really mean to Sam, knowing that she'll push him, because, you know, she's all aggro now. And she gets in trouble. And then, like, he says to her, like, you know, they're, they're like, invading my safe space. And I yeah. feel like the micro and macro aggressions are... aggression. Micro yeah. and macro. Oh, so good. <laughs> I'm like... You almost forget, like, oh yeah, I think, like, Hawk actually back in the day was a smart kid, so, like, he is capable of not being, like, the stupidest bully of all time. Sometimes he can be the smartest bully in the room. You see that kind of continue in the next scene where they're on the field and they're playing soccer, and Sam is just like... I don't know, I hope. I guess it's going to be explained at some point, but she seems to be having some sort of break where she's aggressive and willing to start fights and um, yeah she's kind of instigates dimitri and everybody to kind of take hits at the cobra Kai. yeah it's like a soccer game where they're getting like really physical with each other full contact like in ways that are sort of ridiculous like they're kicking each other in the face while they're playing and i mean i i think this might be an interesting direction for sam because like anything anything any is direction at all any direction that's not just about a guy it makes me happy and like i like that it seems, and I hope they go here, that Sam's kind of becoming, like... A bully? A bully? Because then, remember what she said, there's no excuse for being a bully. Yeah. And, and then Tori is the sympathetic one. Right. And, like, you know, when they all get called to the principal's office for this ridiculous fight, like, you know, Hawk, now thinking man's bully, seems to have sort of talked his way out of pu- being punished. But Sam and Dimitri and the others are getting, like, detention, a rehabilitation period or something like that. And Sam, like... It's like, Sam is not, has I've never had to, like, be smart. Do you know what I mean? And so, like, instead of, like, like it, it's like, even it's weird, because Sam is a former good girl, popular girl. You think she would know how to work the angles a little better and be like, we're so sorry about this teacher. But instead, she, like, vents her rage. She gets two weeks of detention. She punches the wall and says, this school sucks. And it's like, Sam, like, very, like, very recently, like, you were, like... I don't know, I feel like you knew better than this. Or, like, not. maybe she wasn't smarter, but she knew how to, like... Is Sam getting dumber as the season goes on? I mean, (laughs) I don't know. Or maybe she's just getting angrier. And, like, maybe that's okay with me. Even Sam as a bully is, like, something. And, like, I'd be interested in seeing where that goes. I'm 
I, I kind of like that actually maybe something about Sam won't let her like do this in a smart way. Like she's not, maybe Sam it's, is a rebel without a cause. Right. And maybe her whole life, she's never had to be smart. You know, like people just liked her and like trusted her and thought like she was like a good yeah. girl just because she was there. And she's like a, a little brunette who seems trustworthy. And this is like the first time in her life that a teacher is blaming something on her, you know, and like, maybe that's it. Yeah, and she doesn't like know how to react. Apples, Sam. Yeah. So I'll, okay. I'll, I'll, I'll see where this goes. Um, I, oh yeah. Dimitri also like gets some pretty good burns in on Hawk, like about like, um, you know, like when they're on the soccer field, like he's like taunting Hawk because like moon broke up with him and like, you know, and all that. And I'm like, I don't know, like... I just don't like it. I'm gonna say this. Like, watching Dimitri be mean to Hawk is just, like... There's this, like, sniveling... Oh, yeah, no, he's, it's unpleasant to... I mean, he is unpleasant, but, like, it's almost like... It was so awful in the second season to watch Hawk bully Dimitri when all Dimitri was trying to do was talk about Doctor Who or something. I, it's almost like... Now that Dimitri's being a little asshole and Dimitri also knows karate, it's like more fair to watch That's them act true. like this and with I feel each like other. The show is going to push them together to be friends again. Um, probably like a team up kind of thing. So it's probably good to get all this aggression out. Yeah, now. exactly. And and also like they could not possibly ever have been friends again if it was just Hawk picking on Dimitri over and over and over again. Like you kind of have to have some equilibrium there where it's Dimitri being a dick That's to true. Hawk too. Like yeah. so yeah, like for once, a hawk plot that I was like, yeah, okay, sure. Let's see how that goes. Let's let's follow this where it leads. Um, and it's honestly like, I never really thought of Cobra Kai as like the clever and sly fighters. Not really, but like, no, all right. I seem to get all the dumb ones, but I hope maybe Hawk is like, I don't know. And the other thing is he's trying to gear up to be like Kreese's star student, right? He's the only one that's been able to like kick that bonsai out, but... Um, as we'll later see, it seems like, so Kreese is trying to, like, get, had gotten Tori back in the fold. Also, where's Tori in this episode? Yeah, it's kind of weird. That was weird. I mean, they made a big deal about Tori coming back to Cobra Kai, and she's not here. Tori's got other problems, maybe. I guess. (laughs) She's still, like, our full-time care person for her mom, so. And she's not in school. She can't be in school, but, like, she was, like, expelled. But, like, it's still, like, she should be there with the bonsai, yeah? Yeah, it's just interesting that, like, you know, Hawk clearly wants to be the new Miguel, and and Kreese, uh, as we see later when he goes to see Johnny, is, like, you know, once Miguel gets back on his feet and he's got Tori, he's not really looking out for Hawk. Yeah, he doesn't see Hawk as, like, the champion. Um, Hawk, and, I don't know. Hawk is, it does seem like he, he's like, oh yeah, I'm like Kreese's successor, but like Kreese doesn't see it that way. And I get that. Kreese is, Kreese and Hawk are like not really as, they're not that aligned. You yeah, know? I wonder if it's going to take maybe another episode or two for Hawk to figure that out. And then once he does, he realizes, I don't know. What do you think the final break is for Hawk to get him away from Cobra Kai? Shit. I mean, we've seen in, like, the promos Kyler joining, and I feel like that's going <laughs> to oh be gosh, interesting. Oh my he gets bullied out by <laughs> Kyler. I mean, that's, yeah, I don't know. I feel like that might be a weird thing for him. I'm interested to see where that goes. But Okay. Um, so you want to talk about... Johnny and Robbie. All right, let's okay. do it. Uh, it's such a weird feeling for me to have to defend Robbie. <laughs> you know, like, I guess I'm preliminary Team Robbie in this. Uh... So he still has this huge black eye from his fight with the unnamed bully, and he's serving soup. Um, um, he's decided to volunteer for community service, along with some of the other juvie kids, because that should shorten their sentence. So he's at a hopeless homeless shelter uh, serving soup, and Johnny comes to pay a visit. Yeah, so what did you think about the scene? I thought it seemed like Johnny didn't even have a good excuse. Like, he... He doesn't even come out strong with like, oh, I was pulled away. He's just, he starts in with the lectures. He starts lecturing Robbie about his black eye, about, and I just thought, no wonder Robbie is pissed. <laughs> like, I mean, to you me. You stand him up, and now you're like trying to be a dad in the worst way possible. Well, I mean, and then he's like, I'm sorry, I, I shouldn't do that. And like, you know, because Robbie quite rightly is like, you, you're going to talk to me about starting fights. So then he says he's sorry. He goes, like, to his table and eats some soup because he's waiting for Robbie to, like, finally get off duty so they can talk. I mean, yeah. I mean, have you ever, like, worked at a homeless shelter? Like, the soup always smells like green beans. It's tough. Um, 
Also, cameo by homeless woman. Nice. She's just, you know, she's just that homeless woman who's always, like, around. Like, in the first season, like, she just hangs out that, by that mini-mart that Johnny frequents. I didn't recognize her without the sandwich board. Yeah. But, yeah, good to see her again. We'll always love the reusing of, like, bit characters. But I actually... So I loved this conversation. Yeah, this is exactly it's, it's what I hoped for. Yeah, and this in the previous episode uh, when we did our podcast for it, I said that like I was going to be really pissed if like the main conflict came down to like oh no, like Miguel's grandmother guilted Johnny into staying too long and like with it at, with Miguel at the hospital, and so he inadvertently missed his meeting with Robbie. I like I wanted it to be about something like deeper than that, and this episode seems to like totally reveal it is it gets to like the really the heart of the conflict between them which is like yeah johnny does not have a great excuse for not meeting robbie and robbie's like well yeah once again you pick miguel over me that he was at the hospital and it's like you know even this it's interesting how the last episode opens in church and it clearly shows robbie's not a or sorry johnny's not a religious guy he doesn't believe in like the, the healing nature of prayer um so he's like actively participating in this prayer circle because he doesn't really he's still pissed at Robbie well yeah that's I mean that's what I I figured that like it's not it there's some anger there that he's not expressing and like I feel like we finally got like first of all like Robbie feeling like jealous of Miguel that's something that like harkens back to the first season like he went and joined LaRusso uh because he saw like Johnny behaving in a fatherly way with Miguel he's totally justified he's totally right but like I'm glad that like he's never really mentioned it and I love that it finally comes out, you chose Miguel over me. And I love, love, love that it also finally comes, well, not finally, but like, you know, Johnny mentions that like, they they were starting to connect at the end of the last season. Robbie rightly says it was like one good day, but hey, it was a, you know, okay, right direction. But then like, you know, when, when, uh, when uh, Robbie's like, oh my God, like, I'm sure Miguel was really glad to have you at the hospital. Um, it comes out and Johnny's like, well, I'm not the one who put him there. And it's like, I love it that it's, like, not such a huge blatant thing, like, you killed my karate son, but that it's, like... <laughs> I'm sure that's what you would scream into well, his face. Of course I would scream that into his face. But it's, like, I, I feel like I, I didn't think the show was going to deal with it, and I really hoped that they would, and I'm really glad they did. That like, yeah, Johnny's, like, there's a part of him that's, like, you fucked up my karate son. He should have been, like, it should have been you. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I thought this was a perfect conversation because it, like, it held back from getting like that, but it was, like, it really addressed this stuff that had been, like, simmering for a while. It was, it was cool. Simmering like the soup, the vat of soup that they ended up spilling on the floor. It's true. Their conflict leads to I innocent mean, soup a, to be shed. Right. And that was... It's a pretty heavy metaphor. I know. Um, so, you know, after that, Johnny leaves and, uh... Uh, Robbie is back with his uh, his juvie thugs, who are making fun of him in like a way that makes no sense. This actually, is the most pointed burn like that. I feel like that unnamed juvie bully is like constantly looking for psychological openings. Right, but he what he says is so weird. He's like, "Wow, your girlfriend doesn't love you." Or like, no, he's saying something like. He's imitating, like, Johnny and Robbie. He's like, son, I love you, but dad, I hate you. And then he says, like, look, Robbie, like, your girlfriend doesn't love you. Your dad doesn't love you. I'm like, but no, that, that's actually the opposite of what you just said. Yeah. It, you, you know. And unnecessary. We don't need all this exposition, unnamed bully. Yeah, seriously. God. But he was basically, his whole point is, like, you've got no one now. And, it's and like, then, right on cue, Robbie Keane has a visitor. And who is that? My boy, Crease. Jesus Christ. Crease is there to pick up the pieces. Are you happy about this? You know what? I love how Crease is like, nothing can nothing can knock him down, you know? Crease is like, look, uh, he goes to Johnny. We didn't even talk about that scene, but he goes to a bar. Johnny is drinking his sorrows again. Another failed encounter with Robbie. There's something very sad about a grown man eating shelled peanuts at a bar. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, Crease is kind of like, it's interesting. Crease is like, look, you got to pick yourself up. Like, you've wallowed in your sorrows long enough. Like, you got to come back to the joke. Oh, my God. Come back into the fold. This this conversation made me so furious with your with your boy, Crease. Like, he says, actually, like, you're in a bad place, and I probably put you there. And I was <laughs> like, 
oh, fuck you, dude. Like, maybe he's actually sad that, like, his karate son has been paralyzed, and he's not necessarily that caught up in you, like, stealing the lease on his dojo. I mean, How about that crease? To see the dojo you build be filled up with a crease cut out. That's, like, the fourth worst problem that he has right it's now. Still a problem, fuck though. off, crease. And also, crease is like, you know, you did good things with the, you brought Cobra Kai back. You brought me back. And aww. just, every, no, not aww. It reminds you, like, <laughs> literal homeless man. Jonathan, uh, like, Crease basically was, like, he had to, like, rely on Johnny's charity and pity. And then what does he do? He goes around and he steals the guy's dojo while his you know karate son is like, paralyzed. You know what it sounds like? What? It sounds like you need a few more teen Crease flashbacks to remember <sighs> that he's a human being, okay? He's just a poor soda jockey. Oh, my God. That fell on some rough times. And, and karate then, was there for him. Karate was there for him, and then he fell on some more rough times, and his student was there for him, and then he stole a student's dojo. And now he's, like, <laughs> lecturing him about, like, but you were leading them wrong down the wrong path. And he does that pouty crease thing, and I'm just like, oh, Jesus, yeah, this guy. Padding creases back. I just actually see, like, I'm thinking about the back part of the dojo, and it's probably now filled with, like, these weird props. There's probably, like, Clarence and a bunch of, like other rats and strange bonsais and crease props. Every fucking lesson has a prop. Clarence Beat was that rat, right? Like, uh, puts more effort into his lessons than Daniel ever did, though. I mean, that's fair. He's creative with his, his metaphorical lessons, but Jesus. R.I.P. wheel technique. Uh, I mean, that was pretty bad, but crease obviously bugs me, and, like, what he wants, though, is for Johnny to come back to the dojo, let bygones be bygones, and hey, once Miguel gets back on his feet, and then that's the point when Johnny's like, you go anywhere near Miguel and his family, and I'll kill you. And I'm like, thank you, Johnny. You That is simple, it is to the point, and yeah, like... <laughs> the, I guess the Cobra Kai way is the way of the fist. I did <sighs> not know that. That doesn't make sense. Cobras don't have fists. Yeah, It's a mixed metaphor. Um... <laughs> So then that brings us to the last moment where every time Johnny is even slightly rejected by Robbie, for very good reasons, by the way, Robbie doesn't even get as angry as perhaps I would. Like, I would be... You're, like, on Team Robbie for good, huh? Lord. I mean, You're Robbie for life. Robbie's trapped in You've got the tattoo and everything. Robbie's trapped in juvie. His only reading material is Lord of the Flies. It's a great book, Nina. (laughs) His girlfriend, his ex, is, like, having random car washes for his enemy. Maybe you shouldn't have tried to paralyze your enemy then. Yeah, you sound like Johnny here. I mean, look, man, Johnny's been a shit dad, but, like, Robbie, like, none of this is happening because, like... I'm trying to provide some fair and balanced coverage. Oh my god, thanks Fox. But like, listen, <laughs> this is happening to Robbie because he nearly killed someone. Like, so let's not is, lose sight of that. That's what yeah? he's in juvie, juvie for. Yeah. I didn't realize this was karmic justice on top of it. It's a, that's why, I mean, his entire... emotionally jerked around by his father. Also, LaRue... Who, who should just be like, you know what, I fucked up, I'm just gonna stay out of this. I'm not gonna go to this kid's community service and just like, he just... Makes a mess out of things. All right, okay, what about Daniel? Like, Daniel desperately wants to be part of Robbie's life. You know, Daniel made a few calls, and he took the hint, and he was like, I'm going to go to Okinawa. I mean, okay, Daniel's out of town for the moment, but, like, the point is, Daniel still loves Robbie, so it's not like he's... I don't know, love is in heavy air quotes here. Daniel's on a mission to fuck something else up, his dealership, his business, Maybe his marriage, who knows, but, uh... Yeah, exactly, he's got other irons and other fires. Johnny here, I mean, I think they're both kind of in an interesting place, where they're both fucking up different areas of their life. Yeah, probably. And, like, I think that's what always made them, like... I mean, that's when they're they're at their most compelling, when they're trying to do right, but also fucking it up. So, okay. And, like, with Robbie, and, like, I feel bad for the kid. I really do. But it's, like, it's not like this is all, like, he's in juvie because it's, like, he's been unjustly accused of something. It's, like... Listeners write to us, does Lotha truly feel bad about Robbie? Oh, my God. You Robbie lover! I can't even with you! What happened to you? He gets one good haircut, and suddenly you're like, Robbie. Start, I see him in a new light. He's humanized for me. It's like he's just an average teen instead of, like, the harbinger of doom. <laughs> that haircut. Wow. I know. Um, yeah, but I also think, like, I see why Crease went to see Robbie, because, like, of course he did. You know, anytime he has a chance to, like, do something weird and emotionally fucking, why not? But, like... Do you really see Robbie aligning with Crease? Like, what the? I think they're saying people go to Miyagi, or sorry, go to Cobra Kai when they're 
at their lowest. I guess. He, I mean, he's not wrong. He doesn't have anybody at this point. I, I suppose. But, like, I think it would be, it would take very little for Daniel to come back to his life. And as much as, yes, I mean, I, I love Johnny as a character. He is a shit father. And I might hate LaRusso, Daniel LaRusso as a character, but he has been a pretty good pseudo-father to Robbie. Yeah, that's true. But he's, he, I I think the great tragedy of Robbie, the ballad oh of Robbie. Oh, my God. The great tragedy of Robbie. Sorry. <laughs> go on. Good Lord, Scorn. The ballad of Robbie Keane is that people sort of care about him, but they don't really care. And I think he's starting to really... And that hurts more than just someone being completely indifferent to you. It's like the, eh, I guess I'll go 20 minutes out of my way instead of being like, I'm your son. You should be like willing to... Like, Johnny's lobbing death threats at Crease. Yeah, that's true. The second he even intimates he's going to go near Miguel. I mean... I feel kind of bad because it's like, look, would you rather be reminded that you're second best or like dead last in someone's affections or would you rather they just kind of fuck off? Understandable, but that doesn't answer the LaRusso thing, does it? What LaRusso thing? Oh, like I was saying like he doesn't have Johnny. Fine. Johnny's not dependable, but like but that's the thing. he does have Daniel. No, though. he sort of has Daniel because Daniel tried to get through to him a couple times and Amanda was like, look, he'll come around, but I think the things she implied was you got to keep trying. And what does Daniel do? Daniel has two priorities. He's like, I can chase this insane car dealership plot, which I don't think even Amanda thinks is going to work. Nobody thinks it's going to work. Or if he really did think of Robbie's a pseudo-son, he would have stayed in town because he knows for sure that Johnny's not going to be there and his mom is kind of a hot mess still. Hmm. All right, all right. And I guess I understand that Robbie is a kid and he's vulnerable to the crease machinations, but I mean, I don't know. You have two adults that are just kind of self-absorbed and it's like part of their personality is like they're kind of... They're wrapped up with their own Yeah, their self, their kind of uh, parental side gets engaged. Like Daniel is very parental when Sam is involved, sometimes with Robbie, but... Anthony, he could give a fuck. That's true. Right? <laughs> Still no Amanda. Anthony, by the way. Still no Anthony. Um, and when there's a point in the episode when Daniel's looking at family pictures, there's no Anthony in them. Yeah, it is. Yeah. I now... Okay, is he, like, written out of the we, show? Okay, if we could put on our true, true crime glasses, I want there to be, like, some sort of grainy footage of, like, them accidentally killing Anthony, and... They're just pretending that he yeah, never existed. maybe they murdered him at the end of season two. Yeah. It's got dark real fast. Maybe everyone murdered him, like murder on the Orient Express. Sorry oh, for spoiling God. that. And like now they're just like, we'll just never talk about him again. Um, That's why Sam is acting out. It's the guilt. That's yeah. the real guilt. She That's gives. right. I hope this all becomes revealed at the Jeez. end. And it's like this karate thing was really just a smoke screen. Oh my God. Yep. Who killed Anthony LaRusso? Next plot for next season. I'm I can here see it. For it. Oh, um, God. Okay. Wait, we we're missing like one thing, which is Johnny and Miguel's reunion. Oh, that's right. So yeah, it's it's like the usual recipe. Every time he's rejected by Robbie, um, Johnny goes back and tries redoubles his efforts to be there for Miguel. Because Miguel's his real son, his exactly. karate son. Um, and um, yeah, and it's actually as always like Miguel and Johnny scenes are generally just good scenes. Like, yeah. like uh, you know, Miguel's like struggling to reach his phone. Johnny like. Harkening back to, like, when he was actually, like, teaching Miguel karate and not just life lessons, he takes the phone, he puts it across the room, and, like, is, like, quiet, and yelling at him in that Cobra Kai way, and, like, you know, like, telling Miguel, you gotta crawl for it, you gotta, like, do everything you can, and I'll be by your side, because I'm your teacher. And I like that just because it so ties in with what Kreese was saying, which is that, like, you know, I mean, Kreese... If you take out all the crease fuckery, what he's saying is, like, you gotta get your, like, you, you gotta get your groove back, and you, your groove is from teaching, right? And so it's cool to see, like, Johnny teaching again, and it's also, like, I, I mean, yeah, like, what I always liked about Cobra Kai, like, the, the dojo, is that Johnny's style is, like, kind of batshit, but it, it, for a kid like Miguel, at least, it just sort of works, you yeah, know? Yeah, I mean, he's, he's, it seems like he's over his anger with Johnny, and it's... Their scenes together just remind us, like, this is the the heart of the show. Yeah. And as much as, like, it's interesting to explore the fact that Johnny is not the saint anymore. He's not completely uh, been rehabilitated as a character. He's still kind of a shitty father mm-hmm. um, and arguably selfish at times. But this is where he has a chance to redeem himself. So he, he automatically goes there. Um, also, the other thing we didn't mention was that, so Miguel has just had his surgery 
And Allie was not his surgeon, so that disproves at least one of our theories. That's true. There, it, it doesn't seem like there's a triumphant return of Allie. Probably a good thing. I mean, Chosen's already back. What else do you need? Um, yeah. How many love interests of Daniel can really be in the same season? I don't know. Um, I'm not I'm not ruling out her returning. I just think uh, that was one of the... I feel like they probably read the Reddit archives and were like, no, can't make her the surgeon. Yeah, right. Didn't, didn't you think that like that seemed very intentional, that you see the back of this, this surgeon's head. Yeah, she she's blonde. blonde. Yeah. She flew in from California. And then she turns around and Classic like... Classic psych. Yeah. Well done, show. I, I don't mind that. <laughs> um, let's see. Do we? I think we got to everything. So Sam is in... When we leave it, Sam's in detention, etc., um, are you, what do you think about the supposed return of Miyagi-Do under the helm of Psycho Sam? I Sam. am actually sort Hello, of, Sam. I am excited to see that because I feel like, again, it's like whatever they're doing with it, I just want them to do something that feels fresh and surprising. And like, you know, if it would have been like Sam, like, you know, just being Sam for another season, I'd be like, oh God, no, but Agro Sam, fine. All right. I'd like to see her tori it up a little bit. Yeah. You know, I want to see her walk the left-hand path. Let's do it. Let's go there. And let's, uh, you know, and Dimitri is, like, being kind of a shit, too. And it's, like, again, it's nice to mix it up and be, like, you know, Miyagi-Do and Cobra Kai, they're not so different. They're all little shits at the end of the day. I bet by the end of, in like, a few episodes, they're going to have a Miyagi-Do-Cobra Kai standoff. And it's going to be Robbie and Sam doing wheel technique, but they're fighting each other. Whoa. Yeah. Is that even possible? I don't know. We'll see. Um, yeah, okay. Return of wheel technique. I, I like it. <laughs> um, okay. Ratings. Woohoo. We're um, here. This episode did a couple of things that I really wanted. I really wanted that showdown between Johnny and Robbie to go pretty much the way it went. I'm very happy about that. And I really like the stuff about Tomi Village, Okinawa becoming like uh corporate headquarters for the Gap, but, like, the Tomi Villagers being good with it. So I'm giving it the pretty high rating of four Tomi Village Red Lobster restaurants. That's amazing. Mm Mm-hmm. Okay. I'm going to give this four out of five chosen cock blocks because (laughs) I am so glad we didn't see Daniel getting up to shenanigans with Kumiko. Yet. Okay, don't say it. Kumiko, you're better than this. Okay? <laughs> Kumiko, remain that free agent. I don't understand the the pheromones emitting from Daniel talking about Miyagi. Yeah, yeah. I mean, no, I don't ship them. I want her to, like, break into his phone and realize he has no photos of his family. <laughs> it's just Miyagi. And it's just Miyagi. <laughs> just in different filters. Um, okay, ready to close it out? Yeah. You know, I mean... I could say strike first. Strike hard. No No mercy. mercy.